This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. First of all, everyone stand up and stretch. Just You guys are like falling asleep. Get up, get up. There's a reason why I'm asking you to stand up, actually. If everyone could just stand up for us. Please rise from the national anthem. The, the, um, the, the, you'll see why I'm asking you to stand up. Uh, anyway, so I used to bring binoculars to every game. Because I had no interest in sports. I, I mean, I'm into solo sports, you know, surfing, mountain biking. But uh, I was never into team sports. I know that sounds un-American, but probably my own issues with society. Because you have to actually get along. And the, uh, anyway, so I would bring binoculars. My father would always ask me, why do you bring binoculars to the game? We got the best seats. It was a joke because he knew what I was doing. I mean, I never knew why. But I would sit down, even at the youngest ages, and I'd use those binoculars to stare directly across the stadium at the people. And all I would do the entire game is watch people. And I had people tapped throughout the whole stadium. You know, it's 30,000 people in some of these places. And I would say, okay, that father hasn't related to his son in at least 15 minutes. That couple haven't talked since they got here. And all I would do is notice people were disconnected. And my heart would break a thousand times. My parents said whenever they wanted to find me as a kid, they'd always say, look, they'd say, just go out of the building we're in, wherever we were. If it was in our house, it was at a party, wherever we were. They said, just go out and look up and you'll find them. So in my house, I'd be up in these giant eucalyptus trees, staring at people walking by to see how they were relating to each other. So when I walked in here, I saw that everyone took as much space as possible, like it was some kind of a COVID, uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, leftover residual uh, decree or something. But like, here we are in Tishabov, and everyone's sitting like as separately as they possibly could. So whatever, but it's not just that. Because I'm going to get up here and speak to you, and all my talks come directly off the listener. Um, it, it would mean a lot to me if everyone in the peripheries would actually come and, like, come up from the back and come up from the sides and actually sit together for the rest of Tisha B'av. We're allowed to sit in chairs, but we're also allowed to sit together. So why don't we sit together for the last part? Also, that way I don't have to be shifting my neck and my voice to hit you all the way over there. Let's be together for, for this. I'm also like, I'm very into like alignment, like physical alignment. And so I can't stand teaching a class where I know someone's like this the whole time. I, I literally, my, my neck hurts watching him do that. Okay, uh, let, let's get going. I never know what I'm going to say when I speak, and uh, that's probably why the classes come out well. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I, I thought about I thought about speaking today a bit. It started really with Shachris yesterday when I was I was thinking about you know the, the whole idea of mourning and moed together, and and mourning and moed how, how much they relate. It brings back a memory of uh, growing up that they had Israeli folk dancing where I grew up. Um, not that I was into it, but my mother was. And they would, uh, they would always dance to this song, Sisu es Yerushalayim Gilu Kol Ohavea. And that's where the song ended. And later, when I like, got introduced to Yiddish Guide and I saw the Pusset goes on, Kol everyone who's mourning her. That's who is Misamer Yerushalayim. 
But I was thinking about Moed and, and this, and then I was thinking that a couple of things. One of them is that the reason why people are afraid to do the work that I do, you know, I've been 22 years pounding the pavement of running the possible you with, now we're at over 12,000. I think this year we hit 13,000 graduates. But most people you meet are scared to death of doing that work. And I think the reason is because they know they're gonna have to go to some place inside themselves where there's sadness, where there's like a deep sadness and a painful place, a trauma place, a, 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 you know, something, something heavy, heavy, like really heavy. And interestingly, I know myself, I was, I was like bubble wrapped growing up. I was like an Amazon package that had so much padding Meaning just so much padding that when you finally got through all the padding, you find like a USB cable at the bottom or something. Like ridiculous padding for nothing. But I was raised in the safest, like wealthiest community maybe in the world for square mile. I mean, the, the closest pedophile, I think, was lived 11 zip codes away. I don't think we had a key to our door. We lived in a mansion. And the... the it was like, it was just overly safe. No cars were ever locked, no, no nothing. I mean, there just, nothing ever happened. Yet I myself, in my own deep work, have, I have hit the floor in utter, utter, like intense mourning out of pain in my own heart from my upbringing being bubble wrapped where nothing even happened. And yet I've been, I've been flopping around on, a, on the floor like a fish out of water, screaming at, at decibels and pitches that I didn't think were possible out of my own voice. Thinking to myself in the back of my mind, I'm not going to be able to talk for two weeks, screaming like this. And interestingly, my, my voice was actually massaged. And, and, and in fact, an expert who had been, worked in seminars happened to be visiting this seminar wasn't my seminar. I'm not doing that while I'm leading. I, this was someone else's seminar. And so, someone who's a veteran, 40 years in doing, uh, in doing this kind of work, came up to me and started asking me like basic questions like, what's your name? Where are you from? And I'm like, what do you mean, what's my name? Where am I? My name's Yomto. I'm from here. And he's like, no, it's just I've seen this three times in my 40 years. And the other times the person didn't come back so quick. He says, that was right after your birth. And I said, I know. It was right after, literally right after the birth. I don't know what happened right after my birth, but I imagine they took me away pretty quickly. Only today they understand, like, you put the baby on the mommy. Not such abrupt separation. My, my voice was massaged. My voice was better in those next days than it had been in years. Because my vocal cords actually went into the, the infant went into the newborn and I was crying from that newborn screech yet I, I win over and over again happiest person in Jerusalem did you know they have a happiest person in Jerusalem award yeah I, I win it every year actually now there isn't really but there's some wing nut at Zutlin Moshe yeah, not Yel Saleh but there's a guy at, at 
Zerchemoshe, who years ago started dec- dec- um, crowning the happiest person in Yerushalayim, he said, I get it every year. And the... But it's exactly that. It's exactly that. Like, someone who's willing to go into the depths is going to have the joy. And, and it's so true. And, and you think about it in your own homes. Like, uh, anyone here have a two-year-old? Raise your hand if you got a two-year-old. Okay, you got a toddler? Great. Okay. He's uh, got some older siblings, your two-year-old? One older siblings? Not yet. Um... How, what's the name of your toddler there? Benjamin? Now, just pretend because I've done this a lot. I do this a lot in like places like Williamsburg and Lakewood and Muncie and various places. Stamford Hill. I try to ask the person when they raise their hand, I try to ask the woman with the longest, whitest beard. So, you know, he's in his 40s or 50s. And if he raises his hand, he's got a two-year-old. That means there's probably a bunch of older ones. And so I often, you know, win the lottery, and he's like, yeah, he's the youngest of 13. And I say, okay, you got 15 nefoshos in your house. Tell me, who cries the most? And he says, Benjamin. I say, who's the happiest person in your house? Benjamin. And it's very interesting, but somehow toddlers have the secret. And the secret is, is that pain release, pain that you let out goes out, pain that you hold in stays in. It's a simple formula. Pain that you let out goes out, pain that you hold in stays in. Where do you want your pain, in or out? And the answer is out. It's a very simple equation. But apparently it's not so simple to our psychology. Because, because human beings, nevertheless, are scared to death of their pain. And I am, too. Every time I've been to a program where I know I'm going to have to go down to the bottom of the barrel of some other layer of my onion, that's in there. And we all got multi-layers. And I, I think as long as you're alive, you've still got layers left. Every time I go to a program that I know is going to take me there, even Tishabab going in today, I, I go in with a bit of, I go in with that same seminar fear that I see on the faces of the people who show up to my programs on the first day. It's the same face. I've got that same face. I've actually had seminar leaders take me aside after the break. They didn't realize I was participating. And they said, I'm not sure I'm comfortable leading the seminar with you in the room. And I'm like, what do you mean? I know what you mean. And I tell them, you're going to see nobody in this seminar is going to go as deep as me. Because I'm going to put myself on the misbeah like you've never had happen in it with a participant. And every single time, the guys come up to me at the end of a seminar and he said, you're right. No one went that far. But I do go in with that fear, and so I'd like to talk for a minute about that fear. The only thing that I can think of that would bother us to go into the depth and full spectrum of emotion, I don't think any of us are afraid of going into full joy. The problem is the other side. You know, the full spectrum of emotion that the toddler has. I don't think we're afraid of the full joy side. We're afraid of the full pain side. So we're all living somewhere around here. Like we're getting a little pain, a little, little joy. And maybe we let in a little more pain and then we could go to a little more joy and maybe a little more pain, a little more joy. But the full spectrum, I don't think any of us want to go to. 
Why? I'm, I'm going. To, so the, the, what I'm going to say is is, and again, I'm, I, I told you at the beginning. I, I take this as it comes. I, I'm figuring this out with you, even though I'm the only one speaking here. The second you finish with a painful place, painful place, it just like zips up and it's over. I think maybe the the issue is that we're afraid it will last forever. Like that that maybe if I go to that pain, that it, it, it's not going to go away. I think that's one of the issues, and there's a there's a corollary issue with it. And the core of the issue has to do with identity, but let's first speak to the, the temporary issue of it. The natural place of a human being is joy. That's the natural place. The pain that we release, it goes out. And then the natural state is joy. So the fact that we're afraid that if I go there, I'm going to be there. Is, is a big mistake. If you go there, you're never going to have to go there. Do you know once, many, many years ago, like, I don't know, 18 years ago, I made the mistake of asking one of the seminar, one of my seminar participants, I asked him if he would share to the group. And people don't share, meaning it's really quite, you keep your stuff to yourself mostly. But I asked this one guy, because he had cried so deeply that day, I'd met with him that day. And it's back when I used to coach everybody. Now I have coaches, but then I used to coach each person. And he cried so deeply that day that I said, would you be willing to share with everybody? He starts to share and share and share. I'm like watching the clock go. No emotion. And that's when I had a great lesson 18 years ago, is that if you already let it all out, you can't get it back there ever. You can't even go back. If you scrape the bottom of the barrel of a painful place, and you, you never have to go back. And so ever since then, when I get to a point where I want someone to share in the program, I say, I say, is there anyone here who feels like they're on the verge of major emotion but hasn't gotten there yet? That's who I ask for. And then, you know, several guys will raise their hands. Obviously, people aren't afraid to share. Obviously, it's strict confidentiality, but... And then I pick one of them, because that's going to be our volcano of the day. That's going to be a full volcanic interaction, because you can never go back there. And so the issue definitely isn't time, because once you release it, it's gone. Pain release goes out. Where do you want your pain? Out. That's where it goes. children were saying, my older children were saying, because I'm not going to see them before I leave on vacation with my the kids still in the house, so that all the marrieds came over just to kind of prepare for the fast together, and they said to me that my crying on the floor was pretty uncomfortable for them. When Tishabab would come in, I would, I would lose it, my wife would lose it. We would read this book that nobody should ever read except on Tishabab. It's called Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust, 
they're not actually Hasidic tales. They're, they're the stories that no one ever told. A few very courageous people told stories that you should, I bless you all, to never see. But if you're going to open that book, which I would do with great preparation in your heart to get ready for stuff you just would rather not know, just do it on Tisha B'Av if you're going to do it. Um, otherwise, I don't know what to say about such a book. But we would read through it. We couldn't get through the stories. We were just rolling around on the floor sobbing. My kids said it was so uncomfortable for them to see it. I, I just heard this last night that made them uncomfortable. I say tough luck. You know, like let, let children see some raw emotion. You know, there's a man who tours around the world in America. Goyesh man tours around the world and he 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 talks to men about sharing their soft side, their pain side, with their children. Why? Because he never, ever, ever let his kid see his challenge. His kid got challenged as a teenager, took his life. And he just dedicated the rest of his life to teach fathers to share that how they get through their pain so that if their kids ever get in a pain, they actually have a path out. They know that they, you know, they're a child of someone who went through that and got through it very powerful and the other thing is identity is we don't want to be identified with that kind of pain you know our our identity is so fragile to begin with and we don't want to we don't want to be identified with that kind of pain afraid that maybe that's going to be part of our identity. So I'll finish with a uh, I'll finish with a, just a muscle that's a powerful muscle of a you might have heard it of a sw- that uh, birds are territorial. I don't know if you know but birds are, you know some birds are migration birds but many birds are local and they're territorial and they, and birds peck. They're not very nice about it. And uh, chickens actually will kill other chickens if they eat out of order. It's called a pecking order. And you get pecked to death if you do not follow the order. Um, they, so, And they're pretty vicious, these birds. So swans, as beautiful as they are when they cross a pond, they are vicious and they're territorial. And once in a while they'll pick a fight with another swan, try to take over their area. And when they fight, it's to the death. Unless, you know, one realizes, hey, this ain't worth it, and they take off. And so, um, what happens is after this horrible fight, and one of them realizes he's not going to make it, uh, he takes off. And then what happens is immediately, as the birds are now sailing in their different directions, what happens is both birds go into convulsive shaking. They go into convulsive shaking. Dogs also do this when you let them out of a cage, which is pretty interesting also for the nimshal. When you take a dog out of a cage, you know, off the flights or whatever, they'll go into this crazy shakedown. Their whole body shakes. Like that. The whole body moves. And then it's just like... And then the dog's like chill like nothing happened. And the swans shake like crazy and then, and then cross the pond. Like it's like the picture of peace. 
as they cross the path. Human beings are afraid of their pain, and it's always there. So in a way, you could say that we're all shaking, always. Because we're all shaking because we never shake. So in a way, it's not just that we're not getting the joy by squelching our pain. But it's not just that, but we're kind of shaking inside. We're overly vulnerable. You know, you would, you would think that I'm like, I've got a lot of spectrum of emotion, that I'm the most vulnerable, but I'm actually incredibly resilient. I'm incredibly resilient. This, you see, this is the most vulnerable person because he spends his life avoiding anything that could trigger that, that depth of pain. This is actually where resilience comes from. Where you don't have to be so protected. You can be, you know, at peace and at the ability to take on anything that comes your way that might be traumatic. Like you're, you're, you're ready for it. You're built for it. And how many of us are always like kind of shuddering for the next foot to drop? Like we, sh- we shouldn't like have those struggles that we hear about and often in people raising money for and you know, and you see those things, you're like, I want to give, but I don't want to look. You know, you know that feeling, like, I don't think I want to read the full tragedy of that one, you know. Maybe they'd raise more money if they don't explain it quite so graphically, because it's unreadable, you know, for... I don't know if I want to think about that. Let's click on the next one. Jews are happy people. We're very happy people. Like on a scale, like we we win a lot of a lot on that. You know, because we're we're we are kind of mourning all the time. And and as a result, we're you know, we're quite happy. And you'll see within days, there's going to be a lot of happy Jews everywhere. Except for the ones stuck in traffic behind God knows what kind of protests are coming. So may we, may we all be blessed. So also, was I going to say? Oh, is that I'm, I'm, I'm running a I'm running a webinar starting Sunday, um, an hour and a half every Sunday for the next fifteen weeks on a full examination of our our inner depths and our identity. There's going to be an online Zoom one. Although the truth is, if there are enough people from Jerusalem, maybe I'd do it live online. You know, have at least people with me in the room. But that's going to be happening and starting Sunday. And um, and bless us all to, to really have the courage to go deep in every aspect so that we can have the full spectrum emotion, so that we can be known as the happiest people, and as, both individually and as a people. So we can have the resilience, so that we can have the courage going forward, no matter what Hashem brings, may it be bracha. And, and lastly, so as our sages say, everyone who's, who's 
Everyone was misable the the base of Mikdash, which seemed base of Mikdash Pekar of Gemarish Omei. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.